Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're beginning in chapter 3 of Revelation, ending the letter to the Church of Laodicea, finishing our study on the letters to the seven churches. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Revelation 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and omens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, we've been looking at this last of the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus has been giving to John to give to these churches. And as he's delivering this, we've come to the last one. It's really been, I think, the most challenging of all that we've looked at, honestly, uh, as we're in here. We all like the Church of Philadelphia, and we like to think ourselves that we're the Church of Philadelphia. But as we talked about last week, you know, we really need to honestly look at Laodicea because truthfully, there may be a part of Laodicea that we're grappling with in our own lives. May not be reflective of our church as a whole, may not be reflective of our lives as a whole, and yet at the same time, we would be remiss not to consider the things that Jesus is saying to this church. And he levied some real criticisms at them. But keep this in mind, and we're going to see it this morning. Jesus is not levying criticisms at a church filled with unbelievers, though there are probably unbelievers in the midst, as there are in all churches. In reality, he's levying these criticisms at a group of believers who have professed Christ, claimed to be in Christ, and yet at the same time have given themselves over to things that have nothing to do with Christ. And he's challenging them. And he's challenging them because he loves them. And he says that. He's rebuking them because he loves them. And he equally loves us. And so let's receive what it is he's saying this morning. But as we looked at this, we looked last week at the conditions that he described, this condition of spiritual cold, this condition of spiritual hot, and the lukewarm state that they are somewhere in between. And what Jesus said to them, I'd rather you be on one end of the spectrum than the other. It's not that Jesus wants them to be spiritually cold. But he knows from the cold that there's a greater chance that he can reach them than there is if they're lukewarm. Because lukewarm is a place of contentment. It's a place of personal satisfaction. It's a place of self-sufficiency where there's just enough spirituality to make us feel good about where we are, but not enough to really put us where we need to be. And that's a dangerous place to be. As I said to you guys, you know, and, and over the years of just dealing with different people, I remember working out at uh, one school where we just had a bunch of kids who were, you know, cultured in, in Christianity, and yet true Christianity was missing in their life. True biblical Christianity was so missing, and yet they had a hard time coming to terms with it when they heard it because they were content with where they were. A lot of churches like that today in America, very content as to where we are. I pray that you and I will never be content. I'm just, I mean that. I mean, as a congregation, I pray we will never be content, that we're always going to be coming in here, not, not, not looking for more stuff. 
See, that's what the church of Laodicea did. More programs, more activities, more gee whiz bang kind of stuff. But that you and I would not be content to just live in the satisfied spiritual state where we never progress. We're just happy to be in place. You know, Jesus never intended that. You and I should honestly be taking a look at our lives and realizing and not dwelling in it, but realizing, man, how far short we fall. And Lord, I don't want to be here. I want more of what you have for me. I want less of what I am and more of who you are so that we'll always be doing what Paul says, reaching forward to that upward calling, to that prize in the upward calling of Christ Jesus, desiring that greater thing that he can give to us. And that should characterize our lives to the very end. And one day it'll all be reality. One day we'll have it all. But in this life, to be always reaching forward to something else from him. I pray that would reflect our hearts. But this morning after the rebuke in verse, you know, which ended really in verse 17, he tells them in there that, you know, they think they're wealthy, they have need of nothing, that they're rich. He says, and you don't even know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. We kind of left off on that last week, and that's kind of a dismal place to leave off. But here's what Jesus now turns to, and he says, I've got the solution for you, and here it is. Look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In this verse, Jesus states three things, three solutions to the problems that they're having. Three things to the criticisms he levied against them. But all of those three things, they rest in him. They're things that he possesses and that he's encouraging them to seek from him so that this terrible condition of lukewarmness and spiritual self-sufficiency can be overcome in their lives. What are the three things? Note them. Number one, gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire so that they can find true riches in their lives. White garments so that they might be fully and completely clothed from the current state of nakedness that they're in spiritually. And number three, ISAV. ISAV that he'll use to anoint their eyes so that they can see again. Now, each of these things align with something that the Laodiceans possessed, but in a more perfect way, right? Think about this. They had gold, right? The sense is that this is a rich church. They had everything they could want. The chandeliers were, yeah, well, not really, but, you know, figuratively speaking, the chandeliers were all hanging from their ceilings. They had the beautiful tapestries. Every, they had everything they could want. This was a rich, wealthy church. But the gold that they had, the wealth that they had, was, was of this world, it was of this world. It was a material gold that gave them wealth in an earthly. And really, when you think in earthly, you need to think in a temporal sense. Because all that you have, it's all temporal, right? All that you possess, it's all temporal. Yeah, this is, was, was my big week. I took the plunge. I went in and filed for my Social Security this week. And I sat down to figure out what I could do with those meager dollars that I'm going to get, you know, for the years of, of work that I did. And you know what? I realize that as I look at that stuff, it's all temporal. It's all going to go away, right? Kind of reminds you of your age, and you realize we're going to go away at some point if the Lord doesn't come. You know, this will not last for everything. And, and, and that's how these people are. But they're putting all their trust in these things, right? They're putting all their trust in the stuff of the material as though it'll never end. Do you remember being young when you thought it'd never end? What you had would never end, you know? I remember starting my career in the Army. I thought that would be forever, you know, I could do that forever. If I didn't get killed in combat, it was going to be forever. I was going to be a general one day, you know. I came to an end. 
It came to an end because the Lord said it needed to come to an end. Everything comes to an end. Your careers, the stuff that you possess, it all comes to an end at some point in, in time. And it's not to say it's all wrong, but we need to understand the priority of it because the benefit that it provides to us is only temporary. It's not going to last. It's only temporary. And it provided for these people nothing of real value where it really mattered most in their spiritual lives and really in their eternal lives in heaven, right? The stuff that they were investing themselves in yielded nothing for them in an eternal sense. And what a waste that is. What a waste it is. It might be making them rich. It might be making them comfortable. They might be having a great time in it all. They may feel very satisfied. But, but what about when this life is over? <laughs> what about when it was finished, when that day came? What good will the gold of that earth that they were accumulating to themselves or for their churches do for them after they died? You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Matthew 6, verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. May I say that again? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I've been in churches in my life where that passage really, from my perspective, was meant to almost bolster the lay of the sea in attitude because the next statement out of the pastor was, so get out your checkbooks and start writing your tithe checks because it's going to perish. Or the old statement, you can tell where your heart is by looking at your checkbook. Well, that can be very true. That can be very true, but that can also be very manipulative to, to do the very thing that we're preaching against here in this passage. Because you know what? Jesus had far more than your material stuff in mind when he said this. Yes, he's trying to dislodge us from this grip we have on the material, but he's trying to get us to see the bigger perspective overall. And the bigger perspective of overall is where's your heart? Where's your heart? What are you investing yourself in in this life? And that's far more than just about your money. That's about everything else in your life. What is your life focused on in this life that you think is bringing you some kind of reward, some kind of gain, some kind of benefit? Because Jesus is saying the greater benefit is the one you're missing. The greater benefit that's going to matter at the end to you is going to be what's eternal. Because that will never end, you see. And he says, so instead of accumulating the treasure of this life, and this is not an admonition to take a vow of poverty or anything like that. But what he's saying is, keep that light touch because don't lay up. Don't, don't grip onto the things of this life so hard that you fail to store up in your life, in your spirit, in your very existence, the things that are one day going to matter to you. And I promise you this, it will one day matter to you. Everybody's, you know, I know we, we don't think about that, but it will one day matter to us. It will matter. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where my, neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. You know what? Where the stock market will never crash, you know? Yeah, every time I watch the news today, you know, yeah, I shouldn't watch the news. <laughs> yeah, I say that every time I say the news. I shouldn't watch the news. Just get too mad. But the truth is, I'm watching the stock market. It's, it's almost reached another record high the other day, right? Do you know what goes through the back of my mind? I wonder how long that's going to last. That's the first thing that goes through my mind anymore. I wonder how long that's going to last. Now, does that mean nobody should invest in the stock market? No, I'm not saying that. That's a choice you have to make. But I am saying that, you know what? It ain't going to last. And even if it does for a season or, or 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, it ain't going to last when Jesus comes, 
right? It ain't going to matter anymore how much you have in your stocks. It isn't going to matter in that day. That's not, again, to say don't prepare for the future. I'd be remiss to tell you not to prepare for the future. There are things that we should do, absolutely, but I'm saying don't put your trust in those things. These people were trusting in all this stuff. Their life was about all these things, and their church life was about all of these things. It's not for us, Jesus says. He says, you know what? You had gold, but buy gold from me, he says. Buy the gold from me that I have because my gold is going to last. Then number two, they had an abundance. You know, he says the white garments that they should get from him. Well, they understood this, what he's saying, because they had an abundance of fine garments. This was, if you recall, Laodicea was famous for, and they really took great pride in the garments that they produced from what really came from a rich black wool that came from sheep that they were raising. It was, it was an incredible wool of the day. It was very dark. It was very shiny. But that wool and these garments were a part of the source, and they really were the source of much of the wealth that they were so proud of overall. And in similar manner, this church was composed of a congregation that took great pride in all of the material blessings that they believed were covering them. All of the stuff that they had was their covering from their perspective, their rich, their wealth, their riches, their influence, their spiritual appearance. You see, the outward appearances, that was their covering. But Jesus is saying that it's, it's a covering like that, you know, it's, it's like that black covering of, of the wool from Laodicea that it was producing. And what does black represent? It, it represented something impure, something imperfect in its covering. And even though they thought it was great, it's really leaving them uncovered, he's saying. They're naked and they don't even realize it. Only Jesus can provide them with the garment that they really needed. The garment that's completely, that's completely pure. A, a garment that will completely cover them so fully that their spiritual nakedness won't be revealed. Listen, we can cover ourselves spiritually with lots of stuff that we think that's making us okay. That we got it all together. Well, I serve in children's ministries. Faulty garment. Faulty garment, Jesus would say. Well, I've taught a men's group. Faulty garment. If you're trusting and that's faulty garment, you're naked. Well, I, I, I go downtown and I work at the mission and I'm down there every week and I do that. If you're trusting in that faulty garment, faulty, you're naked, you don't even realize it, impure garment. Are those things wrong? No, they're not. They're good. It's an outworking of our belief in Christ. We do that, but we cannot in the same way that we don't trust in the stuff of this life. We don't even trust in the spiritual stuff of this life that can be very good in a part of the body of what we do as Christians. But if our trust is in those things, if we're covering ourselves in those things, we're really naked spiritually. Because what are we really trusting in? We're trusting in what we're doing and not in what he did. See, Christianity always boils down to this. And I know Christians have a hard time sometimes between the idea of faith and works because we think in one way or the other. We, we have a hard time thinking of that in between of how it works together. You know, that's why some people, when they read the book of James, it just, their minds explode, you know? Well, James is saying, you know, faith without works is dead faith and, 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 and that's not what the Bible teaches when it comes to our salvation. Right, because you're not li listening to what James is saying. You're not thinking about it. You're thinking in this one way or the other way and you're not thinking how both work together. But James certainly is, is dealing with an issue that's very true. The outworking of our faith does produce works. There's just things we do. Jesus says to us that he's created the good works for us to walk in and we should walk in them. 
absolutely. But Jesus never said that we trust in those things, that we derive our spirituality from those things. And far too many of us do exactly that. How easy it would be for me as a pastor to begin to think that when, that when I stand before Jesus, that what I did as a pastor is going to matter a whole lot. Oh, I have no doubt that there will be rewards for the right things that I have done in ministry. But at the same time, I understand that my spiritual standing before him, that spiritual clothing that I'm standing before him, listen to me, I don't want to stand before him and say, I got this great coast on of a pastor. Because he's going to tear it right off my back and say, yeah, but you're naked underneath it. It's faulty. It's moth-ridden. When I stand before him, I want to stand before him on what he has done for me. And so I say to you guys all the time, right? You can call me whatever you want to call me, but in my mind, I'm just Randy because my standing in the Lord is the same as your standing in the Lord. And you and I are going to be evaluated on one standing and one standing alone. Did we trust in what he did for us? So when I get up at the beginning of the day, I don't even begin to put on my pastor hat and think about what I'm going to do through the day as a pastor. You know what my first thought is? Lord, I just want to get with you. I want to thank you for what you've done for me. I want to spend time in your word for me and for you so I can have fellowship with you so that as this day begins, I'm starting it on the right foundation and not all the other stuff. Because if I don't do that, it's so easy to slip in the mode of dependency on those other things to define my spirituality. Are you guys tracking with me on this? Because I think this is important. And I think there are way too many people who are serving in ministries today, not just in a pastoral capacity, but in churches all across America and probably across the globe that are putting their trust in what they're doing. They're finding their identity in what they're doing. Listen, if you're finding your identity in what you're doing spiritually, you've missed what the heart of the gospel message is. Ministry was never, the things that we do were never intended to give us our identity. Our identity is in one thing and one thing alone. What is that? Jesus. Thank you. It's in Jesus. It's in him. Now, from that, we identify with his things. We identify with what he loves. He loved to serve people. So we now identify with that and we go serve people. There's a difference between identifying with it and finding our identity in it. Our identity is in Jesus, but we identify with his things. This was a church who was, they were finding their identity in the wrong things. They weren't just identifying with Jesus because if they were, they would have trashed half the stuff they were doing because it had nothing to do with what he loved. Jesus says, you know what? Come find your garment from me. Come get what you need, that covering you need from me alone, and you'll be good. And third, he says, you know what? I got ISAF for you guys. Come get the ISAF that I got for you so that you can clearly see Now, they possessed, and they would have clearly understood this, because they possessed an abundance of ISAF. The city of Laodicea, if you remember from her introduction, was was famous for its production of ISAF that, that supposedly strengthened eyes that were weak. No one knows for sure if it worked, but most likely it was nothing more. You know, a lot of commentators think it was nothing more than kind of first century snake oil, but who knows? 
Who knows? Maybe it did. I could use some of that because my eyes are getting weaker by the day. By the way, just so you know, sometimes when you're following along in your Bible and I start like reading from mine and it doesn't say the same thing, it may not be because we're using different translations. It may simply be because what I'm reading on the page isn't what you're seeing, okay? (laughs) It is one of the reasons people think I'm a technology guy, right? That's why I use computers. The truth is I am not a techno geek by any means. The only reason I use this is because I can blow up the screen. You guys don't see me doing that, but I'm blowing up so I can see the words here and I don't get lost. But you know what? Even if it did work, even if what he, what they had worked, it didn't bring recovery of sight to those who were truly blind. I'm not talking about physical blindness here. It wasn't bringing sight to the blindness that they were experiencing. Oh, they could see some things very clearly, but the stuff that was important, they couldn't see. And like the city, this congregation, they believed that they have everything they needed in order to see correctly, but nothing was further from the truth because they couldn't see clearly. In fact, Jesus says they were really blind. And what they had and what they were looking to was doing nothing to relieve their spiritual blindness. In fact, I would argue it was making them even blinder as time went by. Only the salve that Jesus offered to give to them would, would clear up their vision so that they could see. Only the salve that he offered to apply to their eyes, and Jesus would apply it if they'd simply yield to it, would enable them to see clearly. The point is clear from each of these illustrations. The self-sufficient attitude that came from their trust and all that they possessed was lulling them into this false sense of spiritual contentment and security. It was blinding them to their real spiritual condition and to their real need. And only by looking to Jesus, you see, only by looking to Jesus instead of these other things that they were looking to, would they find what they really needed and ultimately reverse this terrible condition of of, of stuff that's wrapped up in their lives that, that would free them from it so that they could find what they needed. But they needed to do this sooner or later because the condition could develop to the point where reverse is no longer possible. I had, as most of you guys know, and by the way, I do, I do want to give you a quick update. Some of you guys have been praying for me. Uh, my kidneys got crazy in November and just took me on a journey I've never been on in my life. And doctors have poked and prodded, and I've had biopsies on stuff, which I never ever want to do again. That's just like awful stuff. But, you know, at the end of it, all the docs are gone. We still can't figure all this out. Well, maybe it's because the Lord is healing me. That could very well be, you know. And I do believe we have a healing God. But the one thing I learned, you know, as I started dealing with the kidney thing was if I did have a kidney condition, it was because of a lot of stuff I was doing, not drinking water, right? Taking lots of NSAIDs, you know, Motrin. I lived on Motrin in the army. If you've been in the military, you know, that is like the drug of choice. Here, take this big horse pill. It's like 800 milligrams of Motrin. Take it three times a day. You'll be good. And, and, and all of that stuff compounding and compounding and compounding. And the one thing that, that did frighten me a little bit in this, not that I'm afraid to die. I've often said that. I'm not afraid of death. I'm just afraid of the process. You know? But, you know, I just thinking about it as I went through it, it's like, could this be reversible? Because everything I was reading, say, so you get to a point with it where you just can't reverse it anymore. And you know what? I thought about that in terms of spiritual things. If I'm investing myself in wrong things, can I just clearly keep investing and investing and investing to the point where it just becomes irreversible? No, not irreversible from Jesus' perspective. Nothing's irreversible for him. You know, and we know that. He can intervene in the, in, in the most 
despotic life that's just often the wrong thing, but, but irreversible from our perspective. Because, I, you know, one of the things I realized with this with my kidneys was that the problem wasn't that maybe there weren't some treatments. The problem was I was so ingrained in the things that I did, the way I ate, the way I lived, the things that I did. I can't take a Motrin anymore. Are you kidding me? I'd rather die than not take a Motrin. Well, yeah, that could very well happen, right? But spiritually, we can be like that. We can get ourselves to such a point where just as the scriptures talk about that hard-heartedness, it doesn't make us necessarily unsaved, but as a saved people, that our hearts would become so hard that no matter how much Jesus would plead with us to turn back, to move away from this because of what it's doing to us, we'd rather die than change what we're doing because we're so used to doing what we've done. This is the way I've always lived. This is the way I've always done it. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, we may not say it that way, but our hearts may reflect that, you see, as they grow colder and harder. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.